Welcome back to the Man Cave Caucus. This is your host, Ben Baker, and co-host, Tim Holden, who is the sidekick extraordinaire, as it were. So good to be back this week. So much has happened since last week, Tim. I had a busy busy week. It's crazy how much can happen, but uh, thank you for tuning in to the Man Cave Caucus. It is growing uh, it's crazy what's happened just in the last week, how many downloads we've had. And so, uh, it's exciting to see this, this uh, you know, really taken off, Tim. Yeah. I mean, I can't believe people listened. Yeah, I know it, it, it is, uh, <laughs> I mean, not, I, you had a lot of good stuff to say. It's just, you know, I don't know. I so wouldn't. I thought about this. Tell me what your, what your thoughts are, um, as to kind of our intro, when it comes to, um, you know, in a in a quick sentence explaining what the Man Cave Caucus does. So how about this? We aim to inform, but in a fun and entertaining way. That encompasses exactly my aim minus the uh, informing part, and I'm I'm deferring to you. <laughs> So you're the entertainment and I'm the well, information? Is that what no, you're saying? No, you can do all of the above. The informing, I uh, the, the more that I uh, got into last week's podcast, the more I realized that there's some learning to be done. Oh, for sure. And uh, I was, it was like you, you dumped a uh, five-gallon bucket of water into a Dixie cup and... Uh, in, and I was enlightened, but uh, definitely felt like I should probably just be honest that I'm learning here, and uh, I don't have a lot of good information on uh, on a few of the subjects that we touched on last week, and uh, I'm sure that's going to be a reality that, that's uh, but ongoing. that's okay. I think it's okay to say we're human and that yeah. we have faults and that we're going to make mistakes and that we welcome people to point those out. In fact, we'll have fun with it because yeah. I think that's important to have that emotional intelligence and be able to handle it, right? No, I mean, I had I had a great, great time learning and uh, just, uh, man, it's great to uh, be able to, it's probably the first time we've been able to have a three-hour conversation in, in many years. It. Yeah, close to probably six years. Which is what's great about this. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, since last week, too, uh, we, we've we had some feedback from the trolls, and, and not so much toward you, I'm sure. But as you well know, I, I carry a few trolls there on, on X. And, uh, you know, when we tweeted about the podcast and, and uh, the debut of that, there were a few comments, and so that was fun to see. A few laughy faces, you know, as you can imagine, which, again, we welcome that. I mean, we didn't expect anything different than, than a few laughy faces. I mean, really, that's, that's, pretty, that's doing pretty good, I think. I mean, I, would, I could give you some pointers on how to not have trolls on X. I, it's impossible. No, I have none. Because you don't uh, have one? Well, I have, no, I have four followers. Okay. And uh, that really, really limits the amount of bad feedback you get. And I, I mean, close friends with all four of them. Right. My reach isn't great, but my feedback, it's, uh, it's an echo chamber of blessings. Oh, that's awesome. Thoughts and so, prayers. Yeah. I mean, that's what I get. You get you get well, trolls. I I would say uh, it must be nice because mm. uh, I apparently there are a lot of people completely obsessed with my life and mm -hmm. every word that I speak and and just wait you know with bated breath uh, as to what they can comment about it every time I uh, make a, a a tweet or whatever it is now. What is it called? If it's not um, Twitter now, is it a tweet? Would it be an axe? An axe? I don't know. And maybe if you have a thought that's burning in your mind, it's an X to grind. An X to grind. There it is. You heard it here first. So it's going to be a great show today. Lots of good things to talk about. Um, but before we get into the heaviness of 
the absolute bleak outlook when it comes to our world today in the United States of America, Tim, I just want to tell you something, and I hate to admit it. So on Halloween night, by the way, did you did you dress up for Halloween? I, um, I worked through Halloween. Well, I didn't expect any different from a Holden, but um, <laughs> so I didn't. I never do. I hate Halloween. I do too. But it's a good. I've had really good luck deer hunting on Halloween over mm. the years. Okay. So I, I take off work a little bit early on Halloween, and I get home and uh, get my stuff and head to the tree, right? It was a good day. It's it cool. A uh, little bit of wind. Big bucks like to move when there's a little bit of wind. So I headed out, uh, got in the tree at a good time, and ride it just about 20 minutes, 30 minutes before dark a uh, little spike buck comes underneath me on the on the tree stand i'm watching him he kind of moves out never even notices i'm there and I, as i'm watching him i notice up uh just a little bit further out up the hill a a big buck that's uh rubbing on a tree and i'm like all right here we go it's showtime a turdy pointer a turdy point buck <laughs> so it uh, it moves down, comes right about thirty five yards from me. Pretty good broadside shot, right? I've done this a million times, and uh, it's it's bow season, so I use a crossbow now after back surgery. And so, <laughs> this buck, I get it stopped. You know, you do the old meh, you know, and get it to stop. So he stops. He looks toward me. I'm getting in making sure my yardage marker on my scope on my crossbows right squeeze the trigger right when i squeeze the trigger he decides to move and takes a big step forward all right so my yardage was judged pretty right pretty pretty close i think i stepped it off at about 35 yards and i had my 30 yard uh pin on him and so maybe a hair low but i shot him back so gut shot, which is horrible. And I don't even remember the last time this has happened, but it did. So give him, I knew it too. As soon as I shot, I knew uh, it wasn't a lung shot or a heart shot. He takes off and I'm like, well, so I, I give it some time. I just get down out of my tree. I go to the truck. I go to the house, get some stuff, put the, the cargo carry on in the back of the Suburban, head back out there, take my... Uh, future son-in-law Joel goes with me, and uh, and then the girls want to go. So Nicole and Sylvia wants to go, which is cool. You know, yeah. go go track the deer. So we get out there and start traipsing around and uh, find some blood, and we're tracking the blood trail, and then we kind of run dry. It took we we looked for it for about an hour or maybe a little bit longer than that. By this time, it's pr it's getting pretty late. It's after dark, so we gave up on it. I said, I'll go ne next morning. So I go to the next morning, pick up on the blood trail, track it another 100 yards or so, lose track, no blood. Right about that time, I jump him up. He's still alive, okay? And he's bigger than what I even thought when I first shot him. I've got a picture of him I'll show you uh, later, but on my camera from about a week prior to that, I think it's him anyway. So, so jump him up and he's moving pretty slow. I can actually even see, you know, that he's, he's shot. He's moving off to the right over the hill and I just have to watch him because I, I hunt this property that's right next door to public land and they only have a one week draw hunt there a year. So you can't shoot over there unless you have the draw tag or whatever. So, I, but you you're able to you know go track him and recover if if you can. So anyway, I just watch him walk off into the horizon and uh, waving goodbye. Mm. And I went over there after a bit, tried to see if I could see where he went, to no avail. So I backed out of there, 
and I'm just licking my wounds. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. You know, I mean, to lose one, I don't even, again, I don't remember the last time I did. It's been years. So I, next day at work, I'm like, man, this is terrible. So I call a friend that I have that's a DNR officer. And I said, hey, just let you know, you know, I shot one over there. Uh, if you hear anybody talking about it or somebody turns it in, which probably is never going to happen, yeah. um, let me know. Well, he's like, I got a guy that, that has a dog that can track it, you know, so here's his number. So I call him, and he's like, man, I would love to go after it right now, but I just had an accident with uh, running some machinery and br- – pretty much broke his leg. He's hobbled up right now. He's like, I can't run after the dog, can't climb fences. So sorry, but I have a friend who has a dog and he claims is the best dog around tracking dog. And so I call this guy, by the way, we're going to have him on the podcast. Don't let me forget. Uh, so I call him and he's like, yeah, he had already done one track that day. He was on, uh, headed toward another one and he's like if i get that done soon i'll come by so he gets here about eight o'clock at night after dark and we go after this deer so cool i've always wanted to see this uh i've heard about it but never really had a professional tracker and dog uh, track a, a a blood trail and so this dog gets on this trail and we're tracking this deer Get it. This is three days old. No, I was about to say. Okay. He had a nose that could smell a three-day trail. It was a four-legged tracking machine. machine. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. The irony, I was counting the days there, and I was like, hmm. So he told me, he said, if we recover this, it'll be the longest recovery that I've ever had. It's like a cold case. And that's one of the reasons why he wanted to do it. So uh, we, for three hours... (laughs) back and forth, crossing through. But the problem is, not only is it an old trail, but there's tons of activity in there of other deer right now. It's almost a rut. So this dog is kind of getting confused, you know, with all the other fresh scent. And he's like, man, so we do this for like three hours. And he's like, man, you know, if we had another couple hours in daylight, we could probably find, it's probably dead 200 yards somewhere. But it's so thick in there, like literally... I was crawling through this these thickets and barely crawling through, like almost shredded the clothes I was wearing from the the briars and and the thorns in these thickets. So as you can imagine, that's where the big bucks like to to live. So anyway, we did not find it even with the dog. Most sporadic blood trail too that I've ever had, but mm. Uh, regardless, uh, it, it's, it's been a, it's been a humbling week, uh, needless to say. So I was really hoping, really hoping this story had a happy ending. It didn't. And you had me, like I was, I had hope until there wasn't any. The only redeeming factor is keeping me humble. Hey. Which has a lot of value. Yeah. You need, you definitely, uh, definitely need those moments to remember that, you know, things Things don't always work out. Yeah. And so uh, that's 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 how my uh yeah. week has been. Um but anyway, let's get into the show for today. So one of the things we were gonna talk about is I mean, have you been to the grocery store lately? Have you have you bought gas lately? Yeah. Have you bought anything lately? Yeah, I mean it what what I am a I am a chronic spender. And uh, impulsive buyer, I re- yeah, as I, as I recall. Oh man, I have a. I was like I have, those 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 areas by the checkout machines at Walmart. They were built for me. They were made for you. In fact, I could probably give them some pointers on. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I cannot. If I'm in a store that sells quality flashlights, the the chances of me leaving without one are virtually zero. I don't even know where they go, but I. It's like Milwaukee knives. Oh yeah, ten a week. Oh, I'm uh, I've got a problem. But yeah, no, everything's up, and I, I just like as far as all the all the things that you need to live are up. I should say. 
It's crazy. I, I don't think I've ever seen it quite like this in my lifetime. Uh, for sure, probably your lifetime. Mm. Um, when you come to talking about interest rates, you know, I mean, it wasn't long ago you could get like a 2.3 or 2.5 interest rate, maybe even l- lower than that. Uh, I think my interest rate at, in my home, which I've had for 15 years or something, is is like a 4.5 or a 5. Right now, the best you can get on an interest rate is like a seven and a quarter or seven and a half with perfect credit. Um, So the cost of living is skyrocketing. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons that figure into that, but the bottom line is, it's it's just, it's the reality right now. Um, I, I think a big part of the equation was the injection of, uh, the funds that really came in during COVID. Yeah. Uh, into the economy that were really not a, a good indication of, of of where the economy really was when it came to uh, the injection of all these funds. This is something that, you know, if you keep printing money, there's going to be consequences for that. And I, I feel like trickle down from even the bailouts in 08, um, you know, that the, the ball is just gathering momentum. The, uh, obviously the national debt ball, but just the, uh, it's like if there's, if there's not a war, there you know there's a crisis. If it there's there's just something every few years to dilute, you know, further dilute the dollar. So you're in construction. I'm in construction as well. Aside from what I do in politics, uh, I have to have something to subsidize my politician pay. <laughs> so, what's the housing market like right now in your in your eyes? What you're seeing out there? Well, the um, the biggest like linchpin for everything, you know, whether buying or selling is interest rates right now. Um, I sold, I sold land and I've, I've always timed it really poorly. My first house I bought in 08, um, I lost $30,000 in equity in the first like four months I owned it. Um, I time it really well. So I sold, uh, 15 acres in Neosho and, uh, I had a three point, Four, three point three, three point four interest rate on That's it. That's good. And uh, I decided I probably shouldn't have sold it, and I wanted fifteen acres, so I went and bought fifteen more acres in uh, about fifteen minutes from it in Joplin, and uh, outside of Joplin. And I'm in at a which it, this was an investment loan, but I'm in at um, nine point two with mm. with good credit, and uh, which. I'll refinance and, you know, get, get it down to, you know, a comfortable eight, probably seven. And it's just, I don't see any end to, um, definitely not in the next six months for sure to, um, I think there'll be at least one more hike, even if they, I, it's not going back to three. I would, I would think this is kind of similar. We were at what, 16% in the eighties. Yeah. If you go back to the Carter years, which I, you know, that was a little bit before my time that I can remember. I I was born in 81, but I remember my mom and dad talking about it, you know, interest rates on a home being 18% and higher, which is just insane. That is a, that's a, and I think there's a better likelihood of that happening. Um, I mean, unless there is drastic change in, you know, from the top down, um, that's probably more likely than our kids ever seeing a three, three to five. And, uh, that's, it's, it's wild just thinking, um, you know, it, it's going to be legitimately difficult for kids, uh, our kids to be able to get into a house without doing something, you know, and it just all feeds into the, you know, the cycle of yeah. you trade your, you know, you trade your 40 hours, your 60, your 80 for less and less. Yeah, it's unreal. It's difficult uh, in this time, not only with with, with housing, uh, but the cost of living and all of that. And then you have the workforce issue, you know, on the other end. I mean, uh, there, there are plenty of opportunities when it comes to the workforce, uh, but it seems as though people lost their will to want to work, you know, during COVID for whatever reason. I, you know, I have my ideas when it comes to government subsidizing everything. And, 
paying people to stay home, basically, that 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 causes this cycle of, you know, months of people uh, yeah. not having to work. And then it's like when it's time to go back to work, uh, good luck, you know, finding people who are in. And, and, and of course, corporate America is is finding answers to that. You walk into the McDonald's and the Walmart and everything right now, and it's mainly, uh, you know, electronic yeah. cashiers it's it's not actual people that are making a wage because those electronic cashiers by the way are a lot more reliable and they show up on time and uh, they don't have to go home yeah. sick and you know so companies are having to find a way to to be able to stay in business and still make a profit uh, and deal with the you know the the other issues when it comes to workforce. Uh, in 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 whatever way that they can possibly come up with to do that. Um, so, one of the things that has been brought to me recently, and I want to talk about this a little bit at length. If you go to any bigger town or city, I mean, like you know, I live in a city of twelve thousand people. Uh, the biggest, the the next biggest city close to me is Joplin, which has. What sixty thousand? Yes, maybe high sixties. I think I'm guessing, but um, you, it's like really a, a, a in the last few years, a, a lot more instances of seeing this happen with the homeless on the streets, with panhandlers on the corner when you stop at stoplights or stop signs, and it's it's becoming a problem. You know, this is a very complex issue. It's something that um, I don't think is easy to solve, um, but it's something that I believe we're going to have to address. Uh, and we, I think we are addressing to some degree of what government can do, but I, I really still believe that government is usually ill-prepared to solve these problems and usually makes it worse in, in many cases. But so recently uh, it was brought to... Uh, a representative that that's in a neighboring district from mine and I, uh, if we would be willing to, you know, have a forum and just kind of have a public setting where people could come and, you know, voice their opinions about this. Uh, and that could be anybody, you know, which can go south really quick in a public forum uh, and setting. But I, I think it was, you know, a, a good thing to talk about, a good thing to really get get started in this conversation and, and try to get the community uh, to be aware of what's going on if they were not and then buy into it. And, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, what, what can they do? What can they contribute, right, to this issue? Because it's going to take the whole community, really, Yeah, honestly, to really make a dent in this. Uh, it's going to take people working together. And, and, you know, that's it's tough sometimes. People are... People are busy. Uh, it takes a sacrifice of time, uh, and then there's just simply the fact that there are some people who don't want to mess with it. They, it's it's nothing you know that they want to deal with. They don't understand it. They don't want to have to understand it. You know. So, but it's a real problem, and I I think too that panhandling is another part of this equation. But it's it's really I'm beginning to kind of understand a, a separate issue because. Many times, and people probably don't know this, maybe some do, but when you pull up to the stoplight and there's a panhandler there asking for money, most of the time they're not a homeless person. Most of the time it's someone who does this for a business, who is a professional swindler, who make, in some cases, really good money doing this. And so this is something that, that again, we, we have to address to, to be harassed when you pull up to the stoplight is uh, it can it can cause people to feel unsafe and it is unsafe for that person as well for the person who's panhandling yeah. for the people in the vehicles you know to step out into the roadway when you're pulling up to a stoplight uh, and try to judge you know when the light's going to turn to move off I mean there have been people who have been hit who are panhandlers. So it's a safety, it's a public safety issue as well. Mm -hmm. And so these are some of the problems that uh, were brought to us. And, I, and I'll talk a little bit about the forum, but what, what has been your experience when it comes to 
the homelessness problem and then the panhandling as well. Well, in Joplin, and I mean, I've I've been traveling for the the last eight years, and uh, we were in Houston. Did some time up north, but it's pretty pretty bad in Houston. But I came home to Joplin and drove down Main Street for the first time, you know, in in a couple years, and I was just blown away. It was like it was like uh, zombies, you know, about. 20 or 30 of them we saw, we were on a date night, um, went to Red Onion and Joplin and um, driving back towards 32nd, just the the sidewalks were just lined with people who were obviously on drugs and it was very late. And uh, I'd never seen that in Joplin. It's, you know, it, it was like, man, this is dystopian to from what I left, it felt like. in just that short, you know, roughly... A couple years, it got substantially worse. And the more, you know, since I've been home for a while, I, uh, the more I go up there, the more I see. And I think a lot of the, uh, loca- the location of everybody, I mean, it's really sad for a, I say sad. I mean, this, there's so much sad stuff going on with this and not to be, not to sound, you know, heartless. I, I absolutely care. I care for their souls. I care for, you know, their, uh, but, but it's a, you know, a mental health thing for the most part. Um, addiction, all of that stuff goes back to mental health, but the location, the shelters are right there on main street, which Joplin has sunk an absorbent amount of money into revitalizing. I wouldn't feel particularly comfortable, you know, taking my, my family down there with, uh, you know, and I mean, they have, they have, uh, and I, I love, love our town, love Joplin, but you know, that's, that's kind of what we saw. And I was thinking, you know, it would be something that I think would be in the interest of business owners and of city council. Everybody is maybe considering investing some money into these shelters, moving them like towards like West seventh or something. And actually, so the outskirts of the city. Yes, and not it's not to, you know, sweep them under a rug, but actually put the investment that the churches um, you know, us get involved in actually getting help to them instead of handouts to them. So and addressing the root the root Yeah, problems. the root problem which is, I mean, I think anybody who has put any research or thought into it can would agree that it's a mental health issue. Um yeah, so, for the most part and I agree, and so so we had a forum uh, this past week in Joplin, you know, open, and it was pretty good turnout. I mean, there's probably over a hundred people there, and it was kind of a an interesting uh, mix of people who showed up. You know, of course, you had business owners who mm-hmm. are concerned because it affects their bottom line. Uh, it affects whether people make the choice to frequent their business. Yeah, it really does, uh, and so you know. It's in Joplin's yeah, best interest as, to, to do something about it. And rightfully this. so. It's something that they're concerned about. And then also the, the theft that is happening mm-hmm. with some of those businesses, uh, which sometimes can be a little bit of a separate issue, but it, it sometimes is conflated to be the same, right? It, there's a perception that is there as well. So you had business owners, you had residents, because there's actually a lot of people who have moved into the downtown area. They're, they're building these loft apartments, and um, they're they're... There are people who have moved. I think in the past few years, there's there's been like a thousand people or more yeah. that have moved into the downtown area in that city. So you had residents. You had, uh, of course, at this meeting, you had the city of Joplin. You had um, government. You had the state legislature um, that were representatives, myself and another representative who were there, and we kind of moderated this forum. You know, and government's a part of that. Right. The city of Joplin yeah. is a part of that. And then you had, you know, people from the faith community who, you know, have different outreaches and, and, and resources and things available for the homeless community. Then you had the shelters, the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations that address this issue in some way, shape or form and who sometimes get government money, sometimes don't. Sometimes it's by private donations. It's kind of a mix. Right. Yeah. And it's also kind of a mix on their philosophy of how to address this this issue. But there, believe it or not, there's a lot of resources in Joplin yep. for homelessness. I mean, 
But I, I tend to believe that in some cases, that incentivizes. The, the more resources you have, <laughs> the more people are going to show up and the more other cities are going to bust their problems into our area and then it becomes our problem, yeah. right? So in some way, it's it's almost like you can't really solve or or really come up with an effective policy unless it's a regional effort as well. You know, other yeah. cities in the area that also buy into that way of thinking. So you had all those people, and then you had some of the homeless population who showed up at this meeting uh, to voice their opinion as well. And then you had a few activist groups you had uh, that were there that wanted to also weigh in on the conversation. It was kind of interesting to see the different opinions when it came to homelessness. You know, you had anywhere from some groups and people saying, you know, it's a matter of uh, you don't have enough compassion for the homeless and it just needs to be more compassion. You know, now, again, what's the definition of that in their eyes? Well, usually comes down to more handouts, right? Yeah. That's their version of compassion. Now, there is how people treat the homeless. And here's the fact. This is just, again, reality, is that, you know, some of those people, I know, they don't have bad intentions. They're in a a bad situation in life, you know, dealing with the circumstances that they're in. But the problem is this. You can't help the way that people perceive individuals. Right. So, you know, there may be some who aren't dangerous or don't steal or don't have a drug problem or whatever. And they're just in a, in a period of misfortune in their life, but people may perceive them as that. Right. So one of the biggest uh, concerns that people brought forward in that forum was going to the parks in Joplin. If you, if you take your kids to the park, they're overrun with the homeless and they're, you know, sleeping on the benches and they're, they've got the, all their stuff out there. And there, there has been uh, drug paraphernalia and other things found in the parks. Well, because of that, parents are, you know, and I can't blame them are a little bit less willing to take their children and enjoy the parks. But yet you have a city that wants to expand their parks. Yeah. Like, but until we take care of this problem, I don't think it's a good idea to expand the parks. No, and I mean that's it goes back to the you know the infrastructure that Joplin's put in downtown Joplin is incredible how well that they have revitalized that area and it is that's that's what I'm saying and it's not it's not an issue of condemnation I'm saying that that is not what you want the face of your city to be in a place that you're dumping tens of millions of dollars and people are renting lofts for you know, two, three thousand dollars. That's just not the the face you want of your city. The face of compassion doesn't have to be, you know, the first th- that that can be done. You know, and and it's all of our responsibilities. And like you said, it, it's not. It's I'm not saying that they're all druggies or they're all bad people. I'm saying that giving people help does not have to hurt the other citizens who are. Just trying to right. There's a lot live. of people involved in this equation. Right? There's a lot of good people so, who so, want to help. So you want uh, a city that people want to frequent, right? And businesses that people feel safe going yeah. to, right? If, if you go downtown to eat, you don't want to have to be harassed on the street yep. by someone who's having a mental episode or whatever it might be. And that that's happened again. You have to take in consideration all of those aspects. And compassion is something that you know. I, I mean, I have volunteered personally on many occasions to to help in homeless shelters and food kitchens and and all of those things because I think it's important that we, um, you know, that we do that and and that's a personal choice I have made and and I think it needs to be that. Yeah. But addressing this issue in a way that's responsible and and really takes into cons- consideration the root problems with homelessness is critically important because if you don't do that then you're going to make the problem worse which is yeah. what has happened in a lot of places in a lot of cities across the country and you're going to make it less safe for them less safe for everybody 
in doing that. The other thing is, you know, if you're if they're crowding sidewalks, then it it affects the access for for disabled people to be able to use those sidewalks. There's a lot of safety issues that's involved with this as well, not to mention hinders, you know, downtown businesses and 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 residents and and all of that. But here's the thing you have to consider. Okay, you mentioned not all, I think you said not all of the people have a drug problem and or whatever. But here's the facts about that, okay? There's a UCLA study that confirmed what I think is the obvious when it comes to this. More than 75% of the unsheltered homeless surveyed have a substantial mental health problem, and 75% have an alcohol or drug addiction. And the majority of them suffer from both of those things combined. So if you have an addiction to drugs or alcohol, and you have a mental illness problem, then, you know, you can only imagine the problems that can come from that. And unless you address those, yeah, you're not going to fix and, and the they underlying go, they issue. go hand in hand. And that's, that's why I felt, I, I feel very strong. Um, you know, I have, I have conviction in saying, I mean, Joplin is not a, you know, a place that you cannot get help if you want help. Um, they have, uh, they have two shelters. Um, I've it, they have the halfway house right off of Maine. Um, you know, a lot of things, um, a lot of programs, a lot of caring people, uh, your father-in-law, they do it. They do a ton of outreach in, in the homeless and, uh, you know, community. I just, it, it's not a lack of, and, and when you have options, and you see the people who are not using those options. When you see people showering in the fountain on 4th Street, when you know three quarters of a mile from there, there is a place that will give you a bed and a hot shower. Right. We're not dealing with people who are mentally actively stable. seeking help or are mentally so stable. I look at it like this. You have two different kinds of people. Uh, when it comes to homelessness, you have those that are are homeless by circumstance. You know, the chips are down. Maybe they had a big crisis in their life, whatever it might be, and they end up homeless. But then you have some, many, in fact, that are homeless by choice. And if you have ever spent some time with people who deal with the homeless on a daily basis— they will tell you that homelessness in and of itself can be an addiction. Yes. And that even when you provide all the resources and all the opportunities for someone to get a job and even transportation to get there and food and shelter and all of those things, they continue to go back. Yeah. So if someone doesn't want help and they're not willing to make that commitment that they, that they want help and admit that they need help in that, you can't help those kind of people. Right. It's just the bottom line. So I think a lot of times in addressing homelessness, it seems as though that's the crowd that people are trying to address is the ones that don't want help yeah, rather than the ones that do. And I think looking at it like that is important to understand if you really want to be have any measure of success and, and efficacy in dealing with this, you have to realize that there are some who want it and need it, and there are some who don't want yeah. it. Yeah, and you've you we've heard countless stories. Um, I love watching you know watching a video of somebody who was down on their luck, lived in a homeless shelter, fought their way back to the top. If you have all your facilities, if you're mentally stable and fall on hard times, that's not you don't end up with a you know a like an epidemic of you know, just an influx of homeless people into your city who are hard on, who are on hard times. That is, that is curable. Like, you know, like you said, and so, so here's, this is crazy. Like I was reading over some statistics when it came to the rise in drug overdoses, for instance, listen to this drug overdoses have risen 500% in just 20 years, two decades more than 100,000 Americans overdosed last year. 100,000 people. And, you know, I was listening to somebody talk about um, 60,000, I believe, uh, people with myocarditis. They've, you know, they've linked to getting um, 
mandated treatments or, you know, and, right. and talking about how that's more than died in, um, Vietnam. And then I heard this same, the same thing that you're saying. Well, I think what you're getting at is and the connection like, that has happened with, uh, the vaccine. Yes. Right. Yeah. I just, and, and they were talking about how and you know, young, healthy men, especially young, healthy people, yes. 60,000 roughly died more than were killed in, um, Vietnam, and I don't know if that was in a year or during the whole war, but then we have a hundred thousand Americans overdosing, and and the vast majority we of that, know it's it's fentanyl. Yeah, it's it's opioids. Yeah, and so you know, again, more drug abuse has been accompanied by more violence and crime as well, uh, increases in homelessness, and especially on the street. And so you you've seen you've seen a lot of cities that have literally doubled. Uh, their homeless deaths just over the last five years. And a lot of that goes to, and, and is, you know, again, in direct correlation to that drug overdose problem. Um, so again, you have to address that problem. A lot of times people look to the government to to solve all of the problems. And, you know, I don't know, you know, there's some things that we can do uh, and that we are doing, but looking at the drug issue, it, it's such a monumental thing to address and try to recorrect. And there's so many things that figure into that. But again, when you're talking about homelessness, you, you have to address that. Here's the other thing. In this forum that we had, um, not only, we wanted to hear from people, you know, what's your thoughts and opinions on this? And, and it was a wide variety. You had businesses, you had residents chiming in, in that conversation. You had the shelters. But if you look at across the country of of how the the conversation has went over the last let's say 20 years when it when it comes to homelessness one of the things that has made its way to the forefront as a solution but i think in in many cases has failed most cases has failed and really not been a solution is you know the idea that it's housing first have you heard this yes idea so you know, and this kind of started in the in the in the early two thousands, um, and and really by both political parties, it wasn't really a, a you know a partisan idea. And the community of of those that, that advocate for the homeless, they came to this new consensus. You know that they argued that the problems of the homelessness was solvable, and that they knew the solution, and it was housing first. You know, uh, and it, I think actually originally was started by this social worker in New York in the 90s, in the early 90s. And so this premise of, of housing first, you know, in their eyes, was so simple. You know, if homelessness was, was caused by a lack of housing, then we should just simply give them, give the homeless yeah. a house. And that was their brand new idea that they thought were, was going to work across the board. What do you think has happened? Since then, well, I I know in Los Angeles, um, for example, they have uh, they've can't get people to come to their home to the to the places because of what you described earlier. That there are people who choose this. It's they like like an street. addiction. They want to be on the street. They have the community of like minded individuals who also would rather get to the man. And uh, poop on the sidewalks, and I mean they're creating good Which, jobs. Which, by the way, they're they're creating policies to to allow that now. Well, yeah, they've if got you're unhoused, and I'm using air quotes. If you're unhoused, then then you're allowed by law. Yeah, it's a six figure income, multiple employees in L.A. And it, I don't know if this is still the case, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, I know at one point it's it was a a uh, healthy, well into the six-figure income to literally have a crew who cleans up defecation and needles. Unbelievable. So so what happened with this housing first is, you know, they called this permanent supportive housing. So PSH, you know, uh, and it was supposed to end homelessness in a decade. All right. How many decades ago was right. this? So 20 years <laughs> okay, now. Okay, so two. 20 years now, um, we, we've run that experiment, and guess what? It didn't work. 
we've built over 200,000 PSH units for the homeless, as they're known, since, I think, around 2013. And the federal government has mandated the Housing First strategy now nationwide. Yet since that mandate has been in place, homelessness has increased by almost a fourth across the board. Again, they ignore that the... Here's a part of the, the problem. Anytime the government gets involved, this is the kind of thing that happens, right? They start redefining things. So, you know, then they would say, well, no, we've, we've actually had a decline in homelessness. Well, when you get to looking into the actual definition that they used, here's what they did. They moved people from transitional government housing, which was counted as homeless, to permanent government housing, which was counted as not homeless. So it's, in effect, if it's just a smoke show, smoke and mirrors to say, well, you know, oh, we've really declined. And the, and all they did was change this definition. And so the actual reality is homelessness has gone up. Well, it's like job numbers look better when you have everybody working three of them. <laughs> you know, I mean, right. you just you just need to keep the the same people who <laughs> Who are already who are already working and get them a few more jobs and the job numbers are going to improve so drastically. The, yeah, it's the same principle. So, you know, the question is, why doesn't it work then? Why doesn't permanent housing? Why isn't that the answer? Why did why doesn't that help people exit from homelessness? You know, and I think I, the the simple reason is that it appears to attract more people from outside the homeless system yeah. and or keeps them in the homelessness system because they're drawn to this promise of a permanent home or usually, you know, a rent-free room and it doesn't really affect the root problem. Yeah, you're going to you're going to have any any government system you're going to have abuse in, but at the end of the day if you incentivize personal responsibility instead of incentivizing yes. the it's it's just opening a door for anyone either to take advantage or not get help i mean if you need help when, when do you get help at rock bottom right that's that's when most you usually hear somebody's transformation story that they hit the bottom and they said okay something's got to give if you keep people comfortable in their you know, it, it's it's just enabling. It's and like enabling an or... yeah, enabling an addict, uh, an addicted relative, or you know, and when the government the government has much deeper pockets, and uh, they'll and they incentivize all the wrong things. Yeah. So I was looking at this. There there are literally some programs in some cities across the country. And you could probably name them if you started going to you know the, mm. the coasts and to the 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 more uh, blue areas when it comes to the country. San Francisco, for instance, they will incentivize. So they'll give you, you know, if they're doing permanent housing for homeless, they they give you extra points if you have an addiction. They give you extra points so if you have a history of crime. So your social credit score kind of rises the they more... Extra yeah. points if you have a mental illness. So... What's happening is sometimes this is driving people to commit crimes. Literally, this has happened mm. because they want to score higher to yeah. get a free house. You could call that the three hots and a cot syndrome. <laughs> and that's the kind of thing that government does too yeah. often. And that's, again, part of the reason why it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work and, and really doesn't exit people from homelessness. It keeps yeah. them in the problem. Here's another statistic that I thought was mind-blowing. So they did an analysis, and it shows that cities have to build 10 of those PSH beds, permanent housing beds, to remove one single homeless person from the street. Efficiency. So, so you build 10, you get one that actually exits from the system. And so, you know, San Francisco, for instance, let's, let's use that. They've built enough permanent housing to house every single chronically homeless individual in the city back in uh, 2011 when this stuff started uh, happening with this housing first. 
Yet instead of ending the homelessness problem, as promised, homelessness increased substantially until the city became a, literally an, an international byword for the homeless crisis. I mean, when you think about that, you think about tent cities, you think about yeah. the drugs, and you think about all those things, you think about San Francisco. It's that bad if you've seen it up, uh, up, up I've, close. I've gotten to see I've gotten to see multiple states with tent cities in person. Another example, Arizona has built over 7,000 permanent homes for the homeless since 2010, enough to house every unsheltered person when they began. But the number of Arizonians living yep. on the streets has increased by 50%. The uh, that was years. that was one of the states we uh, we did a project where we did like 380 stores in uh, 20-some states in Arizona. I spent three months in Arizona and saw Tucson had tent cities, Phoenix had tent cities. I mean, even even into the northern northern Arizona, which are, you know, wealthy, a wealthy part of Arizona, the weather is so uh, forgiving there. And that's one thing about when you go up north, very little homelessness because winters are just it's not brutal. comfortable. It's a seasonal job. So here's the other part of this, okay? In San Francisco, going back to that, each of those PSH units can cost up to $750,000. And how many people do those? I don't it, it, doesn't it doesn't say, say. how many in this in this article, but so here's here's the problem. So in in Los Angeles when the voters they passed a bond issue actually for this for more of these PSH beds. And the city said they would cost $140,000 each. What do you think happened? Instead of that, they tripled in cost, and some of them cost over $700,000. The government letting something go over budget and over deadline just... Is almost a sure thing. It's a guarantee. It's almost a guarantee. Guarantee. So the solution is not just affordable housing. Housing is a part of the equation, but it's not... You know, without any measure of, of responsibility and any measure of efficacy of a program and transparency of how those funds are spent, you're not going to be successful. Just the bottom line is government should never incentivize drug abuse or mental illness or crime, uh, as many of those pu- public policies do. We really want to help them. Yeah. Not put them on a, a path of destruction for the rest of their lives, incentivizing their problems or addictions. So you have to think about that. You know, are you really trying to help them, or is this a new way for a bunch of people to make a bunch of money, and it really not fix the problem? And that's that's another to another point that I was while I was listening listening there. Um, you know, the privatizing. You would think that would, you know, incentivize people who cared, but I mean, it's like the prisons, you know, it's, it's just a, uh, laundering money or government money into votes or, you know, whatever, whatever interests. I, I, I feel like I, have you seen how easy it is to get a government contract? Um, Oh, believe me, I have seen. And, you know, you're, you're not getting that help you're not getting that money into people who have interest in in turning this around they have interest in expanding government for sure but even some of the and and i have tweeted about this before and of course you get you know all the haters going nuts but it's just the truth and that is a lot of these uh, nonprofit organizations that are set up to help the homeless Actually, it's a huge grifting operation where they make a ton of money and the money very rarely actually goes to yeah. the need and the problem. And so, you know, it's it's multifaceted when it comes to, I think, trying to address this and trying to come up with real-world solutions. Uh, a lot of times the, the idea, you know, that the, the, the emotional thought of temporary comfort becomes the primary way of thinking rather than the long-term freedom from addiction and better health and safety for that individual. I think that we are, though, in kind of a somewhat of a paradigm shift when it comes to thinking about this because 
you know, the, the, the facts are there. Most of the programs that have been implemented, most of the policies that have been implemented by the bigger cities have failed and homelessness has gotten worse. So, you know, they can't help now, but admit that, you know, maybe we should look at something else, some other solution. There have been some policies that, that are in, in recent years being implemented in some cities that I think are having some measure of success. More of the idea of sanctioned tent cities outside of city yeah. limits or on the outskirts. Um, and, you know, the, the, the basic necessities and things there where that it, it doesn't hinder those doing business and living in the city but it still provides resources uh, in an area like that. Um, moving the the shelters toward the outskirts of the city seems to be working. You know, there's no real reason why they need to be in the downtown areas, right? Mm-hmm. The, the real thing is, again, if you're really trying to get to the root of the problem is how can I help you and, and help you out of this? Yeah. That should be the, always be the question. Uh, and, and if it's, the question of location doesn't really figure into that. They can have all the same resources and sometimes much better, better and safer yeah. toward the outskirts of the city. So some of those things seem to be working in areas. Of course, the media is never on your side. They're always mm-hmm. going to, you know, paint it that you're trying to move all these people out, and you're, you're, you know, yeah. uh, you don't have compassion and you don't care, and 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 all of that is is not true. And then there's the perception of, you know, well, what about private business, you know, if they don't treat them right? Well, again, it's not government's responsibility to mandate business to be compassionate. Like, should people be compassionate? Yes, I think you should. I try to practice that. I think people should try to practice that. But, you know, if if businesses are getting stuff stolen on a daily basis, whether that is or is not the homeless, you know, they can have this perception that that could be there. And they can be frustrated with the fact that they're losing money and their their employees don't feel safe when they when they close down the restaurant at night and they have to walk out to their car or whatever it might be. And they have no choice in that. You know, one of the arguments that somebody brought in this forum that was, in my opinion, just ridiculous was, you know, trying to say that all these homeless people are good people. And, you know, I would rather hang out with them than hang out or than walk down the street by all the bars late at night when people are walking out puking or whatever it might be. And, you know, what I wanted to say was, well, you have a choice whether you walk down bar alley at yeah. night. But the people who are living there and the businesses who, who have a business in the city don't have the choice in how this this is going down and, and, and the perception that is there. So, again, I think it's, you know, don't look to government first to fix the problem don't definitely don't look to housing first i think that there are the resources and the ability with with all the people in the community who do have compassion and who do care enough and do yeah. want to actually help those people and get them out of that problem yeah to solve it uh, but it, it's going to take everybody working together and it's going to try to you know take implementing some uh, policies. You know, I, I think Joplin implemented something when it comes to the safety of the streets regarding the panhandling issue. Come to find out, most of these panhandlers are from a certain area of the world who, you know, th- again, it's a it's a big business for them. Yeah. Uh, they're not homeless. They're actually living well. I'll look up some videos on YouTube. It is a... And taking advantage yeah. of the compassion of the community, right? So, yeah. in some instances, you know, this is what I wanted to say in the in the in the forum is that um, the way that our community responds to this tells you that there is a large percentage of compassion among the people here. Um, but again, that can cause other problems. You yeah. know, if your idea is just give them money, I'm telling you right now. That doesn't help. And I'm coming from a bleeding heart side. I have been, I mean, multiple times have been, I had a situation in Joplin uh, 10 years ago, couldn't afford to put gas in my truck, this, that. I had a guy give me a really convincing story in a Lowe's parking lot. Yeah, they can do it. And ran into him six months later. He didn't remember that I had given him the literal last 
$75 I had to my name. Like I'm, I went and withdrew this money for him. And I mean, I, I, it really like that. And it it's happened multiple times. It happened in, uh, somebody knocked on my door in Louisiana, said they had a bus full of, um, more or less invalids and, and it was broken down. And I, I'm just, I'm a sucker. And I, and I mean, I, I just, I'm a compassionate person. I don't, I don't want to see people hurting. I don't, I don't want to see people in need. And that is, that's the part where I also don't want to see a dystopian downtown that, you know, has been brought up from, I mean, it was, it was not a place you wanted to be. They, and the people who have put in this work, put in this, um, you know, all this effort to make a beautiful, inviting downtown to see that literally be pooped on. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just one of those things we can, we can come up with some good solutions, but I think it's in businesses in, interest to, you know, to be a part of that. And this is great. I'm glad, glad to hear that there, you know, that there was a good turnout. I wish I could have been there. I was, I was telling you when you uh, told me about it, I, I really, this is something I'm really passionate about seeing people, A, get help and B, see the benefits to the hardworking and, you know, where you're not a bad person because capitalism part of it's it's a part of our lives well, hopefully the city as Americans. Be there yeah not for that and th- they wouldn't have the money to put into the par- and they're they're probably running into that people are not wanting to invest in a park that yes. you don't feel comfortable going to you said that earlier yeah. and and trying to bring businesses to the area becomes a problem yeah and i mean there there are people in that meeting that you know have been uh residents in other states and they they say it's it's worse here than yeah. than it is in some of those for, other places. For our part of the US, for the Midwest, Joplin's situation is unprecedented. And I'm I've I've lived in twenty seven states for at least three months over the last ten years. It is it's unprecedented for the I think like per capita. Right. You, you just don't see the quantity like that. Well, I think people are really thinking about it. I think I think it generated a lot of interest, and uh, hopefully, people will come together yeah. and try to to come up with those solutions and uh, and make a difference in in that area. And I think it's yeah. possible. Uh, you know, do I think? Just to be honest, do I think that you will solve homelessness? I do. No. I do. I do not, because I understand human nature, mm-hmm. and I understand addictions, and you know that's a big part of that equation. But can you? Can you put in some solutions that can really help, not only help those people that are in those that that condition, yeah. but also a, a safer, better place in in our cities for the residents and the businesses? I think it is possible. So we'll work toward that. Uh, good discussion uh, regarding the the homelessness problem yeah. and and all of that. Uh, but it's it's going to take all of us. Yeah, you let's know, get to, involved and to get involved and be a part of it. So with that, Tim, I think that finishes up our episode. Anything you want to add to uh, man? I uh, to that one. I I had about ten things, and I they just they drift away quickly. It happens. <laughs> but no, that I feel like this when is. You, I you, don't. When you're I don't running feel, on three hours of sleep. Yeah, it's been a rough week. It's always people get tired of me saying it's been a rough week, but I uh, I find ways. I think people can know. relate. Yeah, I do. No, and. But I, I don't. Uh, the one thing I would add probably is I don't feel like it's a hopeless situation. I right. feel like it's a situation that's going to require a lot of people just getting involved, caring. This is not about you know putting someone in a bad place in a worse place. It's like actually bettering our city, bettering yours. I know this Joplin's not the only town, um, no. and I'm sure we'll hopefully get to hear you know some people. Uh, you know, but and maybe some creative ideas, maybe people who have found some answers. But I definitely think that it's a, a huge important. It's just great to know that people are like, I mean, it's, I had no idea that they, I, you know, me and my wife talk about this a lot. And it's like, you know, sometimes you feel like you're the only person noticing it. You're like, and it's great to know that just encouraging to know there was a good turnout, that people do care and just please. Um, you know, the, the trolls that if anyone, any of them take the time to listen, please know, 
um, you know, uh, we don't come from a place of, you know, disparaging people. It's, it's, this is not working for you. It's not going to work for future generations. We've got to do yeah. something. All right. I think we tried to, uh, at least address it and, and to, to frame the conversation. So, uh, don't forget, you can find us now on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. Tim? You've been busy. Yeah, so we're on all the big ones. Uh, you can put that in Man Cave Caucus into the search bar and find us on those platforms. Make sure that if you listen to the podcast and you like what you hear, that you subscribe to the podcast as well. Leave us a great comment on there and review. That'll really help to boost what we're doing. So with that, sayonara. Sayonara. We're out for today.